Hi everybody and welcome to 100 Acts of Love. My name is Kim and I am your host. I'm so glad that you are here. Now, 100 Acts of Love is all about how to help when cancer strikes, particularly how to bring empathy into the workforce when you have an employee affected by cancer. Now, you're in the right place if you're an HR professional, if you're a leader, or even if you're just a regular old human being who happens to know somebody diagnosed with cancer, because we dive into the side of cancer that many people don't talk about, and that's the side of the supporter. So today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite, favorite topics, and that is receiver's guilt. Receiver's guilt. It's a thing. But before we get there, I want to make sure that you take the moment to subscribe. Make sure you hit that little bell button so that you don't miss a single podcast or YouTube channel because I'm going to probably post these both places. Um, So make sure you don't miss a single one so that you can stay up to date with all the fantastic topics that I like to cover. Receiver's guilt. We're going to talk about receiver's guilt. Receiver's guilt is the reason why... People say no when they clearly need the help. It's one of the reasons why people say no when they clearly need the help. So we're going to talk about that today. But before I even do that, I want to make sure that we talk about, we discuss the definition of guilt. So the definition of guilt is the psychological discomfort caused by something we've done that goes against our unrealistically high standards. And for this conversation, for receiver's guilt, we're going to change that definition a little bit. So we're going to change it to, it's the guilt is the psychological discomfort we feel when someone has given to us when we don't feel like we deserve it, or when we have unrealistic high standards of what we are capable of doing in crisis. The guilt we're talking about is a psychological discomfort we feel when someone has given to us in a way that we that in a way that we don't feel like we deserve or that goes against our unrealistic high standards of what we're going to be capable of in crisis. And the reason I wrote it that way was because when my husband was first diagnosed with cancer, I was like, I got it. I got the whole thing. I can manage our whole entire life. Because there was sort of this unsaid rule that we had. His cancer was very advanced, and it really was a couple weeks from killing him. And so the roles we took on, which we never even discussed, was he will fight for his life, and I will manage everything else. And that was what we did. And so when I realized I needed help, I was like, I got it. I don't need any help. I got it. I just need to know what I need to do. I'm good. And I remember about four weeks into receiving meals, I called my kind of little group, my posse of people. And I said, you know, I'm kind of done with meals. I don't need to receive any meals. And they were like, "Mm, Kim, I don't think that's true. You've got several months more of treatment, of arts treatment. I was like, no, 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 I'm done. And when they asked, when they kind of inquired more, what we discovered in our conversation was that it wasn't that I was done. It's just that I was overwhelmed by all these people bringing stuff for us. And I was in the middle of a massive panic because of the law of reciprocity. So we will talk about that law because that's one of the main reasons that people don't accept help, but not yet. We're going to get to there. So that's where I was feeling. I was feeling overwhelmed and like I was going to have to pay all these people back. And when we had more conversation about it, of course, we realized that that's not the case and I just need to accept help. And they were very good at at reminding me why I should accept help and that it wasn't all about me. It was about me making sure that that my situation wasn't stressing out my husband and me accepting help for my children. So it was so much bigger, obviously, than just 
me accepting help, but it just felt really overwhelming. Guilt, I want to talk a little bit about, I say that a lot, don't I? I want to talk a little bit about, okay, well, that's what I say. So (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about how guilt is different from shame. Shame comes from an internal feeling of unworthiness that we are not, um, that we are inherently defective. And that does play into receiver's guilt a little bit. And we'll talk about that at the end. So what is receiver's guilt? Receiver's guilt is the feeling that you get when someone gives you a gift and you feel like, "Mm, I don't feel like I deserve this. That's receiver's guilt. Receiver's guilt is, is, the, is the feeling that you get, the uncomfortable feeling that you get when someone gives you something and you just feel uncomfortable with it, right? You just, have, you just don't feel good about it. So receiver's guilt, the way I looked at it is receiver's guilt kind of has three main drivers. The first main driver is the law of reciprocity. So the law of reciprocity basically means, basically is, and it's a social law, and it states... If I give you something, then you need to give me something back, either at the same or higher value. And a great example of this, if any of you were, you know, actually a great example of this is someone who gives you a gift and you are expected to write a thank you note and give them a gift back, right? Some type of gift back. And there's often sometimes a little bit of guilt associated in receiving a gift because you feel like, oh, you know, you didn't have to, or maybe it's too expensive or whatever it is. So... The law of reciprocity states that. Now, you can imagine you're a coworker, you have been affected by cancer, and all of your coworkers are trying to give to you. And in your head, whether you're conscious of it or not, you are feeling overwhelmed because now you have to track what they've given to you and how you have to pay them back. And you're exhausted, you're overwhelmed. The idea of paying anybody back is way like over your head. So you can imagine how the law of reciprocity just feels like, nope, not accepting any gifts because I cannot pay these people back. It's just too much. I'm going to spend the rest of my life paying it back. I'm already overwhelmed. So that's where the law of reciprocity plays into somebody saying no. Now here's the trick, and this is what worked on me. The trick is to remind the person who is receiving the gift that they are actually on the other side of the law of reciprocity, that the people are paying them back for what they've done. And that's what my friend pointed out to me. She said that people love you, love art, and love the kids. And they want to do something to help. And they want to pay you back for what, for the joy or whatever it is that you've done in their lives. And especially for my husband, who was an upper school director. So he's, he supported so many students and helped so many parents. So of course, they want to give him something to sort of pay him back for that. That's where you can switch that law of reciprocity on the head of an employee who is affected by cancer in the workforce. All right, the second thing that often trips people up from receive for, that often trips people up from receiving help is the high standard of independence because you know I'm an American, proud of it, and and we are fiercely independent people. You know we are fiercely independent. We believe that Oprah built her whole empire by herself, as did Bill Gates and, and, and Jeff Bezos and all the other millionaires, right? We believe that they just got in there and they did it and they struggled and they did it and they didn't need any help from anyone along the way. That's the story that we tell ourselves. And that story 
stops us from receiving the support that we need. So we have these high standards. Now I've met plenty of people who are like, I'm a giver. I love to give and just give and give and give and give. I don't receive, you know, and that giver is often the hardest person to get to, to, to get them, to talk them into receiving support for, for themselves or for their family member, because they consider themselves a giver, not a receiver. But when you talk to them, you, you understand to them, receiving is negative, right? So all of a sudden I'm a giver, not a receiver, like somehow receiving is negative. And the only way I have found to talk them around this is to remind them that it's really good for them to understand what it feels like to receive because it will actually inform their giving in a much more deep, in a much more deep way or deep manner, right? That's the only way I've found. And the other thing is sometimes you just need to say to them, you know, shut up, you're receiving, you need help and I'm going to give it to you. Um, oftentimes, what also blocks people from receiving help is this notion of being vulnerable. When you receive help, you are saying to people around you, I need help. And that opens you up to that vulnerability. And that's absolutely terrifying for many of us. And here's the thing. When you or when you're employed, if you can talk your employee into receiving help, what you are doing is you're giving permission to everyone around you that it's okay to ask for help and be vulnerable. It's really powerful. I cannot tell you how many times people have come up to me during my husband's battle with cancer and after he died and said, you know, I was afraid to ask for help, but I used you as a model, Kim. I remembered how vulnerable you were and how many people showed up. So I decided that I was going to do that. I was not intending to be a model. Trust me, I did not want to model that behavior. <laughs> it was not my plan. But what a beautiful gift I was able to give. Not on purpose. So when you, if, especially if you were in the workforce and you have a team member who's affected by cancer, if that team member can model their vulnerability, can model like, yeah, I do need help, that is going to impact the team in such a positive way. They then will feel like they have permission to be vulnerable and to say, I need help. And not just around, you know, family problems. It could affect how they feel about work. And it could affect your team productivity and your engagement and your collaboration. I mean, the ramifications of someone being able to say to the team, I need help, are huge and beyond anything that we think. So if you can talk the, your employee with cancer or your friend who is affected by cancer into understanding that when they say yes to help, they are affecting their community at large, whew, that's pretty powerful. That is pretty, pretty powerful. All right, the third reason that people often say no is anger. Now, we don't like to talk about cancer and anger because there's this cancer fairy tale that we all believe in, which is you get cancer, you fight really hard, you're done with cancer, and you live a happy life because you've brushed, you've, you've had a brush with death, and now you just go in there with gusto. And it's just, it's a crappy fairy tale, and it's just not true. Because people with cancer, people affected by cancer, people like myself, they get pissed. They get really, really, really angry. And while we don't want to go into victim mode of why this is happening to me, it sucks. 
going through cancer, watching my husband battle cancer sucked. And there were so many times I was just so angry at the situation, just pissed. And there were times where he was really mad and he would rant and rave against the cancer and be angry that it happened to him and be angry that it wasn't over and be angry that he felt like crap. So anger can stop people from asking for support because they're just so angry. And the thing about anger, anger is a is a masking emotion. It's an emotion that hides other emotions. So when I'm angry at my children because they didn't call me when they said they were going to at 11 or when they arrived, what's really being masked is my fear. I'm terrified that something happened to them. And now that they finally called me, I'm angry. But the reality is I was scared and I didn't. And I, so my, instead of telling them that I was scared, I'm just going to go to anger. So anger is a masking emotion and they may be feeling scared. They may be feeling vulnerable. They may be feeling unworthy. They may be feeling like maybe they deserve to get cancer. So all of those emotions can come in under anger. So when an employee or a friend feels angry, that's their way of kind of shutting it all down. And it's sometimes really hard to get them to accept help because what you have to do is get them to touch back into those emotions that are behind the anger. And some people just don't want to do it. And that's just the way it is. So anger is the third reason, the third most common reason that employees affected by cancer or anyone else do say no to help. All right, so let's talk briefly about shame. So shame is, you know, if the receiver's guilt is really based on the fact that they don't feel like they deserve to be helped, that they feel like they're unworthy, there's not a lot you can do with that. The only thing you can do is just to love them up, you know, and maybe you drop off something and say, hey, I left this at your doorstep. I hope you don't mind. You know, I love you and and you're worthy of having a good meal tonight. You know, it might be something like that. But shame obviously is such a deep rooted emotion that motivates us in so many seen and unseen ways that it's not something that you can kind of get over by just dropping off a meal. So um, if you're, if, if the receiver you're trying to give to is dealing with shame, then just love them. Honestly, I'm, I'm a spiritual person and I honestly believe that when you love somebody just to love them purely and honestly love them, you can change the way that they feel about themselves. You're not going to rescue them. You're not going to make them feel, oh my God, so 100% worthy all of a sudden, but you can cause them to open up just a little bit. That is it. You know, getting past receiver's guilt is an essential part of of helping your employee affected by cancer manage their cancer. And it's something that we often overlook. Um, And it is a thing. It is a real thing. I love to know if you've had any experiences with receiver's guilt, if you know someone who's receiver's guilt. Oh, oh, oh. Actually, let let me just back that up. So, you know, in work, it doesn't have to be around cancer. Receiver's guilt comes when you need a lot of help on a project and you ask someone to help you and, and you, you feel like you don't deserve the help that they've given you, right? That, that can also be a cause of receiver's guilt. So it's not just limited to the office, uh, to the person affected by cancer. It runs in all our lives most of the time. All right, so now... 
Would love you to leave a comment. Let me know what you think about this topic. Let me know if you've experienced receiver's guilt. And lastly, if you are not sure what to say, or maybe you think you said something wrong, make sure you go to my website at 100xoflove.com and you download your free what to say, what not to say, and what to say instead. There are five phrases that are common phrases that are the least helpful thing to say. And my goal is to make sure that the world never says those phrases to anybody ever again. Clearly, I've got my work cut out for me, but I'm up for the task. Really grateful that you joined me here today. Thank you so much for honoring me with your time. I really mean that. And please remember, you matter. And I will see you next week. Bye-bye.